do I think that this is a long-term thing? Yeah. I don't think that those people are going to be very happy to be doing this development for a long time, man. Well, why would I want to let somebody else buy one of the houses instead of me trying to buy them? Make, make the offer. Are you willing to go firm on one? No, you need, you need all of them. Somebody's going to go firm on one? On one. Yeah. You have a buyer that will go firm now on one of those houses? I, I'm not going to say I have and the words now in the same sentence. have someone who might in the future, right? And I may have someone now. Well, I might in the future, but I need to tie (laughs) it up first. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you is like, I'm just coming up with other ideas here because there was not well, our, our, our previous engagements were not well received. Because of us or because of the... I think there's a lot of factors. I think there's a lot of factors, Mm. right? But sometimes sellers are just, they know too much. You know, when you get a bunch of sellers who are living in their houses and stuff and they're like, wow, I'm going to get this great premium. It's fine. But when you have like a mortgage broker or a realtor, an investor, and like all these people, like they all think they're geniuses. They all think that they're going to outsmart everybody. You know, like they know what they're doing, you know, and that becomes a problem. But there are some expensive deals right now. Some of the deals out there, like, like 300 bucks per buildable. Like there's there's some really expensive stuff out in the market right now. Guys are asking big numbers. Like that Shep Bathurst and Shepherd site that Pre-zoned? I sold. Zoned? Uh, some of them, some of them unzoned, but like big, big. 300 bucks a buildable for unzoned? Where? One of them was, one of them was zoned that I saw that, but other ones are, Didn't are big sell numbers. Them. Did it sell? They're not selling, no. No they're, way. They're on the market. People keep sending me one caps for industrial and it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Who the hell can work with a one cap? Anyways, TK. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate Canadian it. Canadian real estate show. What's our agenda today? Do we have TK, an agenda? And the, it, I have an agenda. And have it, an listen, agenda. in the past week, we have been called by some pretty influential people, like the Tom Story. Oh, no, it wasn't Tom Story. It was Steve Karish, named us the best Canadian real estate show on Sundays at 4 p.m. I think we are the greatest real estate podcast that's ever existed in the history of podcasts that airs on Sundays at 4 p.m. Agreed. Yeah, that's like such a realtor way of pumping up the stats. Eh? You ever read those? See, because I'm in the industry, I always read the fine print, right? When it says number one here, number one there, you always got to read the fine print. I think I finally found the number two realtor in the GTA. Really? Yeah. That guy is amazing. Just for his honesty alone, I would hire him. Right? Yeah. There, there has to be number market. two. Like, yeah, I'm number I'm number two in every market. I'm not, or I'm not number one. That would be the marketing. I'm not the best. I'm not number one would be the best marketing that a realtor could do. Where did I put my notes? Why don't people for think today? of these things? There they are. Well. Um, well, there's a, did you see that billboard? The the guy's like, I hate that my job too. He was a realtor. Yeah. Did you see that? It's like, no. I don't even understand this, but yeah, that, that was the billboard. I hate my job too. Yeah. Call me, call me, let me yeah. work for you. Cause I'll yeah. be a miserable, <laughs> I'll be super optimistic about everything that I'm dealing with. Right. Have you <laughs> seen what's going on 
with the Madame protests, TK. Mm. Have you seen this? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about it right now. It is so stupid. It is so interesting. And I think we are going to... Ineffective. Uh, probably ineffective unless... Ineffective. Well, what's the goal here? So we got this doctor lawyer guy, right? Who, you know, has a social media presence of being, you know, somewhat uh, affluent. You know, he's got a couple of Teslas and he's got affluent friends and Check he's, he's stuff. a he's a baller, right? He's a big you baller. Know? And, uh, you know, he's a lawyer. He's a doctor. I mean, he's he's doing OK. Man, man of many hats. Many, many hats, TK. And <clears throat> apparently not a real estate investor. Well, <laughs> well, you know, he didn't, he didn't get not that a hat good one, uh, right? uh, to fit on his head. That's for sure. Well, the hat fit. It just uh, he, he didn't do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So so like who in their right mind speculates on not one two point four million dollar new construction home, mm -hmm. but two. Two point yeah. four million dollar pre-construction homes, and can, these are not I can houses. To buy two of them. That's that was a story when when he's in line. Hey, what are you getting? No, oh, what, what lot are you getting? Yeah, I'm gonna get lot fifty three and lot seventy seven. Right? Look at me. Look at me. Whoa! I bet he drives a Tesla. Oh, I'll bet he has two Teslas. I bet he's a doctor and a lawyer. <laughs> I'll bet he's a doctor <laughs> and a lawyer. I'm. You know what, Daryl? I, I think we should cut this out because this is really bad. A press right so let's not throw this guy under the bus too much i think oh. he's he's gonna get enough i uh, threw him under the bus so hard get on enough the, kill, uh as it is I don't on twitter should, uh, yeah i hit i hit him hard and then some he people started hard. talking about libel suits <laughs> yeah see, and let's, slander let's, suits let's, let's 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 cut it we're, we're a mainstream show now dear mainstream. we gotta be careful on what we're talking we need to about talk on, on about this though it's big yeah it's I big know, but, you know, it's a big story take it easy on the guy the guy's i'm sure the guy's a great guy and i'm sure he has made uh, a mistake and that he's learned from it and he's going to come out the other side a lot better. I think that that is not correct. And I think that it is actually mm -hmm. indicative of the sickness that we have here in this real estate market. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a much bigger problem, right? And I also think, this is what I was just thinking, so we got Aspen Ridge canceled. We talked about that last week, right? Yeah. So, so, and we have Madame now, you know, dropping prices a ton from one uh, uh, phase to they the next. Sold. So I think, and I, I'm probably wrong because I generally am, but I would think if I was a, a another developer, builder, the same or close in size to either of those guys, I mean, there's not too many of them, but I mean... Would I not be going, well, you know, if Aspen Ridge can do it uh, and and they didn't get slaughtered. It's not, it's not, you know, our company that's screwing everybody. It's just, you know, a sign of the times. Jump in the pool. Now right? is the time to go. Jump in the pool. Now is the time to go. Right, uh, lower prices, uh, you know, launch projects. I think there's a lot of projects launching. There's projects that are launching right now that have been trying to launch forever. And all of a sudden now it's like they're launching and I'm seeing it because I'm in these these WhatsApp group with all these agents. And it's like, here we go. Then you've got the projects that have been for sale for like over a year and they are throwing incentive after incentive after incentive. It is like, 
a trip, you know, you're going to get a trip and you're going to get, uh, you know, we're giving away a car to one lucky agent and your commission was going to be here. But if you sell three, it's going to be here. And that's like, they are throwing seven, eight percent commissions much at these projects to get them sold, which tells me they're not moving. And there's advertisements. There's a couple of projects that I won't name that I've been following and that they are advertising like crazy. They're spending a ton of money because if you got 200 houses to sell, and you have to take a $100,000 hit to get them sold. That's $20 million, right? So why not go and drop half a million dollars on some ads and marketing, right? Sure, to keep try the to price do something. The problem is you, you end don't- up losing you both. <laughs> exactly. The problem is you don't know. You're just starting to marketing. The way marketing works is you have to be doing it consistently for a long period of time. For me just to go and start marketing a project and all of a sudden start putting it on XYZ, billboards, radio, TV, whatever- Nobody recognizes it. They don't even know what you're talking about. There has to be a continuous stream of information over a long period of time. And that leads to more sales because you've built a brand, you've built success, and you've captivated the audience. And and they just don't understand that. They think, well, so-and-so is successful, so he's advertising. Therefore, if I just copy what he does, I'll be successful too. It's just not how it works. Unfortunately, it is not quite how it works. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately... um, We have to end this discussion because we have wonderful guests waiting in the waiting room. And I don't want to leave them there because uh, we're lucky to have them. And this is a perfect timing for these guys. We have Rob and Hart from Rent Panda joining us today. Oops, what am I doing here? There they are. Almost in. Rob and Hart from Rent Panda. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Welcome, Good welcome to the day. show. Welcome white to the t-shirts. show. White t-shirts. Damn, Daryl, we should have done matching white t-shirts. White t-shirts. <laughs> well, uh, matching Rent Panda t-shirts. Ah, <laughs> even uh, better. See, we don't we even need, have merch for our we show We need yet. merch, TK. Need merch. What are we doing Slack here? Him. Well, we know nice people. to meet you guys. <laughs> they know a guy, TK. They know a guy. They this is great. Guy. Well, we good to meet you. We were introduced by Mr. Foch. So uh, mm-hmm. thanks, Daniel Foch, for the introduction. Thanks for joining us today on this uh, lovely day here in Toronto. Um, you want to introduce yourselves uh, briefly? Sounds good. Uh, my name is Hart, and my colleague is Rob, and we are partners in Rent Panda. And Rent Panda is a platform and service for landlords to get all the support they need through their journey. Uh, so we provide products and services for landlords to make more money, save more time, and excel within their uh, their life cycle as a landlord. Make more money. That's all I heard, TK. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, there's an important part of making money, and that's, you know, having the right property in your possession first, right? Mm. So that once you get it, though, if you want to keep making money, then you need to hire guys like you two to be able to keep the ship on course, right? Our conversation yeah. just before you joined was all these pre-construction people who've been buying and overpaying and, uh, you know, there's a lot of mess going on out there, right? With, uh, yeah. you know, the market changes and stuff, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's for sure. And uh, Rob and I were just talking beforehand as well about <laughs> uh, the the fad of real estate investing. You know, we found that over the last couple of years, there was a lot of people that got into real estate investing, wanting to be investors, but not realizing that being an investor also comes with being a landlord or hiring the right people to landlord for you. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of people have overpaid. A lot of people are stuck with properties that they think can get more rent than they can actually get, even though mm-hmm. rents are skyrocketing. And we can talk about that. 
Um, but there's a lot of people that need education and hand holding along the way. Not that that's bad, um, but that uh, you know the market is shifting. Things are changing in this crazy world quite rapidly, and uh, you know finding the experts, hiring the experts, and educating yourself as an investor and as a landlord is incredibly important. And that's part of what we do at Rent Panda, and also what we're trying to support. Uh, landlords who don't use our service to do uh, just to get educated and we're landlords and investors ourselves so we, we've learned it the hard way that uh, you got to invest in yourself to get forward in life rob it's a pretty crazy like space to just jump into not knowing anything about it or thinking you know something about it isn't it like it's a lot of money a lot of risk and a, it's it's not passive yeah, outside of we were just actually talking about this as well. Like outside of the financial aspect of things, if you just isolate time, you know, I think as you jump in as an investor and you're shifting to be a, a landlord, right? Just even thinking about property maintenance, the issues that can come up as your portfolio grows, that alone could be essentially a part-time job to almost a full-time job, right? Outside of the financial aspect of of things. And then, you know, obviously when you you buy a property, depending on the scale of it. Um, you know, more issues come up, which means more cost, which means, you know, essentially less cash flow or even worse negative cash flow than you're already dealing with. So yeah, for sure. In terms of education, just to hit on Hart's point, like, you know, what we're trying to do as, as hopefully 2023 rolls on is just hit home about the education side of being a landlord. And, you know, it, it doesn't stop at, at being an investor. There's way more time that you have to excuse me, um, um, basically put into the your business overall, right, to, to make sure it's functioning. I, I think that something that's very clear is that it doesn't matter how much education certain people get or how much help certain people get, there are people who shouldn't be landlords. The yeah. emotional toll of landlording is sometimes just not something that certain people can can bear. The average person can definitely do it. Right. And then, of course, there's the skilled operators who, who you know, might be able to do it you know, with or without help from a property manager. But there is there's a class of people. We've all met them who just doesn't matter what you do or teach them or explain to them or help them with. It's just not for them. And they should consider something else. But the fad, like you guys were talking about, has brought this greed out of everybody where it's like, hey, if I can just be a landlord, I'm going to be able to make all this money like everybody else. And it's greed, greed, greed. And and again, no education and stuff. And the landlord tenant board is full of those landlords showing up unprepared to be uh, squashed. Yeah, I think that just for that point, I think most times when we do run into that situation, luckily we worked with some great, really great landlords and whether it's, you know, a partner that brings on the landlord or from a previous relationship is that when you have goal setting from the start and a landlord knows or an investor knows exactly what that property is going to be, you know, in the short term and long term, it's a lot easier to have those conversations, right? Because if they are negative cash flowing or it's a conversation about, hey, you know, I, I know that there's going to be more short term investment in this property, whether it's time and money, then it's an easier conversation to have, especially for us to work with the landlord. And as you said, like, you know, they're they're an easier to landlord overall to understand the systems that are in place um, for rentals. So for sure, there's always going to be people that shouldn't be something in any industry. But, um, you know, the, the landlords that we work with definitely are more open to the education side. And they are able to build those foundations and the systems so that, you know, nothing is a surprise. Or if it is a surprise, they've essentially um, had some type of problem solving um, goals that, they, that they, uh, they've set in. So I think one of the one of the biggest factors at the moment is these 
investors that bought pre-construction with the performa showing negative uh, uh, cash flow, but <clears throat> positive appreciation over time, you know, for them, some of them, it was like, okay, you know, it's worth it because in two years I'll make a hundred grand or whatever the number is. Right. But when you have these uneducated investors buying pre-construction units to put them out on the market. And now they're upside down on, on the appreciation side on top of losing money every month. It's like, there's a big storm brewing, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. And what we see on our end is the culmination of that storm is landlords coming to us saying, I've got a one bedroom in downtown Toronto and I know rents are growing double digits every year. So let me get 3,500 for that one bedroom because it faces the CN Tower and, and has waterfront views. And yeah, there may be one or two properties that have been sitting on MLS for 90 days or more that are at that price. And that's why they're sitting. Um, but these investors just believe that they have the best asset possible. And when they look at the math, they need that cash. You know, they've, they've bought, they've over leveraged and they're not going to have that appreciation anymore. And so they turn to cash flow as a solution. And the reality is, is the market demands what the market demands. We're not going to have tenants paying $3,500 for a one bedroom, no matter what it includes. But my Whether agent is, told me I could. No, but you my might get them to sign the lease. told me I could. I have a performa <laughs> right yeah. here right. that shows 3,500 bucks from you, yep. right? Like, yeah. yeah. But you and get I them think, to sign TK, the you lease just said you, and they agree. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I can't believe I did it. But the, that, the reason that tenant was willing to do it is because they're the worst tenant that you could possibly ever <laughs> get. Not gonna pay and you're going to have way months. bigger problems in about three months. Exactly. And and most yeah. investors, when they get into that situation, just focus on what is the rent amount? You know, you hear these stories of overbidding for properties, and that's typically agents bidding against agents and pushing their clients out of their comfort zone. And then, you know, we've got entrepreneurs who have rented properties and the business goes a little bit sideways. And the first thing they stop paying aren't their, you know, their bills for the business, it's rent because they know they've got six to nine months before anything actually happens to them and they can always catch up on it. That's the broken system that we have in Ontario. But ultimately, landlords and investors need to protect themselves up front by getting, you know, either agents that know what they're doing from a leasing perspective or hiring the right professionals who can properly provide a rent assessment, who can find the right tenant and don't over leverage yourself so that you're not in a rush to find a tenant because the worst situations occur when people, you know, finish the construction or renovations or get get possession of that property on the 27th of February and want it rented out by March 1st. You know, that's going to cause a problem. And yeah, we can get someone to sign the, the lease. The guy's ready to move in tomorrow. Or it's a great tenant. He said his stuff's yeah. already packed. It's in a truck and yeah. tomorrow he's going to pay yeah. me my price. He yeah. With like three guy. months up front and then, yeah. you know, nothing after that three months. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. these are, these are the sign of the times. I mean, we're talking about a lot of things like back to basics and all that kind of stuff. For a while there, we had, people who are just not looking at the fundamentals anymore, that they, you know, weren't following the script, that there were examples of people who made money with these sort of like risky type of uh, investment, uh, you know, opportunities. And so now people are saying, well, I got to go back to basics and, you know, cash flow, like multifamily's slow right now. There's barely anything moving and there's all, you know, different reasons why, but it's like people are really going back and looking at the numbers now. And my always, first thought is just like, why, why did you ever leave that? Like, mm -hmm. why, why would anybody have ever made that decision? 
you know, knowing that they're, they're, they're negative cash flow, knowing that it's only appreciation, knowing that, you know, their unrealistic expectations on rent or anything like that was the only way that this worked. Social and, media um, influencers. I guess so. I don't know, but it's scary. It's scary. I mean, there, there, there were, were a lot, lot of people. people. Yeah. A lot of people mm-hmm. pushing the idea that this is easy. You're going to make a lot of money. I can show you, I can help you. You could get somebody to manage the unit and still make money and blah. I've never heard re- investors who are good investors pitch that. I mean, I, it's realtors. Okay. I get it. You know, salespeople, they're trying to get you to buy something. But I mean, as far as any course I've taken video, I've watched book, I've read, like they're all pretty consistent in what they're telling you to do for an investment strategy. Sure, like there's yeah. not a book on like uh, appreciation out there. And this is a, you know, game changer. Like I haven't, I haven't yeah. read that one. Ultimately. No, I mean, the hard things are worth doing. Right. And, and even at the start of COVID or in the first year, when there was a lot of money to be made with that strategy or you know the people that were working hard to find the right deals were making a lot of money with alternate strategies you know peterborough blew up because everyone was trying to get out of out of toronto guelph blew up as a student rental market um yeah hamilton blew up there was a lot of opportunity there but now two years later these investors who want to you know, jump on board with trends that they saw two years ago and are investing in Peterborough or building, you know, beautifully renovated homes in Peterborough, the market is just not the same. You know, people are coming back to Toronto. There isn't the demand for absolutely stellar, beautiful, newly renovated units in that city demanding the rents that people thought they would. And so it's those people who are at the forefront who are doing the hard work of not only, you know, finding the right tenants, managing properties right, but finding the right investments in the next opportunity. They're the ones that are leading the charge. And a lot of people that are coming after them are finding themselves in in hot water because the market is changing so quickly. So, so tell so, us like what you guys are up to, right? Like what is it? How did how did Brent Panda even get started? Yeah, so the, the inception story of Rent Panda is uh, is a little bit cliche, um, but we started actually up in Thunder Bay. Uh, so Thunder Bay often gets mistaken for North Bay. It's even further up north. Um, and uh, my brother and I founded the company. We were both tenants at the time, and we found a rental platform that was kind of leading the charge in Thunder Bay. Uh, and you had to e-transfer a guy $20 to get a list, a Word document list of all of the listings in town. And we thought, if this is the way that people are finding homes in Thunder Bay, you know, it's likely the way people are finding homes in other tier two markets. And I was actually in Toronto at the time and, you know, viewit.ca was still the leading platform that people were using. Um, And so the, the system was clearly broken. It was clearly a need of some innovation. And we started to build tech products for the small landlord and especially in tier two markets. So we built a marketplace where landlords could post their property, message tenants, book showings, screen their tenants properly, build leases, and actually manage that tenant. Um, And after doing that for a couple of years and expanding down to the Tri-City area and then across Ontario, we found more and more passive investors who were looking not necessarily for technology, but for leasing and property management services. So the natural progression was away from a pure technology company into you know, tech-enabled real estate, essentially, where we've built teams that can find tenants and manage properties based on the technology that we've built in an efficient way and really protect landlords and their investments. Um, 
So like Rob was saying beforehand, education, is kind of the pillar of what we do. We've got some formal education. We partner with people to come out and, and give kind of landlord 101 educational courses, um, but primarily working with investors on a one-to-one -one basis um, and educating them along the way, along their journey to find quality tenants for them. And that's similar to a realtor, you know, but it's a Toronto phenomenon to have realtors do that for you essentially. Um, but we provide leasing services across the province and that's everything from a walkthrough of the property, photos, videos, doing all of the marketing and advertising, showings, screening, lease rent building, assessment, rent assessments, which are incredibly <laughs> important, um, all the way through to the end of that journey. And, you know, a lot of landlords want to self-manage at that point. And then we also provide kind of a no frills property management approach as well or the fully passive landlord. And uh, we've done everything from you know room rentals and sublets all the way up to full building lease ups of you know, pre-construction. So we work with large scale investors, small scale investors, and everything in between to build products and services for them. I want to talk about the services a lot in the tech today. I think those are two areas that I think are really strong, but just make me understand how uh, finding tenants, because there's so many places that tenants look, right? You have yeah. Facebook Marketplace, you have Kijiji, you have Realtors, Realtor.ca, um, View It still around, and there's other sites. So, like, how do you ensure that your clients are getting, you know, the exposure to make sure that as many tenants know that their properties are up for lease? Yeah, we have yeah. essentially what I would say is it's like an art and science, right? Each market is a little bit different than the rest. Um, I'm in Hamilton now and cover the Southern Ontario market and Hearts in Toronto. So a little bit different in terms of the actual sites they're posted on. Um, so listing sites could be a combination. You know, We have our own uh, site that landlords can use. It's free for them to post their properties. Tenants are free to look. Um, we don't charge. And, and that's just a service that we have. It's a platform they can message landlords directly so they know they're real. Um, that's one area. And then obviously there's other listing platforms that we would use marketplace Kijiji, you know, if it's a market that deems, you know, rentals.ca, for example, pretty popular in Hamilton. Um, you know, we, we would essentially post across multiple listing sites. However, you know, what you're stuck with as a landlord is really the, is it available? Hi, can I come see it? You know, when you get a plethora of messages, it could be sometimes upwards of 300, right? We've had tons of properties that, just have so many tenants. And we essentially, what we do is we filter them down. So, you know, it really is our relationship starts from the first message and someone who says, is it available? It's just not enough information for us to go on. So, and that kind of leads into the technology side is we built a, a screening platform or a tenant screening platform for landlords. And it's a tool that we use to essentially uh, go through through a pre-screening or pre-application stage prior to showing. So we'll list on all these sites, may, make sure we get the appropriate amount of tenants you know, it's a, a very low percentage overall versus initial interest. And then we filter that through to the showing stage. So, you know, it could be anywhere from hundred messages could cool down to nine in the end, something like that, right. In, in certain markets. And really before they come to the showing, we know a little bit about them, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, living situation, how many parking spaces they need, um, what they do for a job, pets, things like that, that just help us know that tenant a little bit more and essentially be the arm of the the landlord, right? We're, we're really in their shoes for that approach. And we're trying to make sure that we are comfortable with that relationship from day one and know, um, you know who we're renting to uh, at the very least before they get to the showing stage. Is there a so, way to like search for these um, professional tenants, I guess they call them? Like, is there a, some kind of a search that can be done that shows that 
they've done this before or numerous times or that they're in the middle of a LTB hearing? So yes and no. Um, I would say if you look at the tools and the formal conversation around how to spot professional tenants, there are sites like Canly or Open Room where judgments are supposed to be posted, um, but there's just as much conversation about the delay in posting or the lack of uh, lack of posting altogether that's in there. What we really stress with our clientele and our leasing team when we train them is not how to look for professional tenants, but how to look for your quality tenants. Because ultimately professional tenants um, don't have perfect systems. And when you do the screening the proper way, the, those professional tenants fall off. Um, and the proper way is, is a couple key factors. So one huge thing is pulling your own credit checks. Um, so we have a tool that's tapped into Equifax and we pull our own credit check. We don't care if the credit check is from Equifax and coming from a realtor. You know, we've seen fakes. We see fakes all the time. We do not trust anything unless it comes directly from us. And if there's any shade of a doubt that that, you know, may be a little bit off, we don't go with that tenant. Like Rob said, you know, volume and exposure is not the problem. It's about finding that needle in the haystack of that perfect tenant and that perfect fit. Um, the other thing that we have is uh, income and expense verification. So through open banking, we can actually tap into someone's bank account with their consent and see the payroll deposits that are coming through, see the government income that's coming through, see the rent that's going out. Um, mm -hmm. And if they say, you know, they have no pets, but they're making a transaction at PetSmart for $42 every gotcha. month, it's Ooh. likely they have a pet. Mm -hmm. you know, if they <laughs> not say they're that not we would smoking. exclude you because of that, but you know, <laughs> right, just, right. just pattern of behavior here, right? Yeah. Maybe you have a condo that has a bylaw that excludes pets, so you can do yeah. that. Um, but the, the reality is, is that screening for the right tenant is a lot more important than screening out the wrong tenant and a lot of the conversation that exists on you know social media in the news is about the professional tenants the scammers and things like that where you know they're a very very small portion of the population and ultimately if the professional ten tenant is going you know and having something listed on canly about them they're likely going to change up their profile they're going to change up their systems they're going to get a different id and fake id to make sure that things pass um, and they're going to get through you know, your, your attempt at spotting a professional tenant. So you want to spot the high quality tenants, not the professional tenants. I, I have a very small property management background and, and I'm, I've been a realtor for uh, about 15 years. I've never seen a professional tenant pull a fast one on a professional landlord. Right. Me. Fair enough. It's a vulnerable landlord that they prey on to be able yep. to get away yeah, with the way that getting away with the screening system that we set up there's always going to be inherent risk, right? And I think that a landlord needs to accept the fact that they're always going to be a, a low volume of risk, but the screening tool that we set up and how Hart and I discussed it and how we wanted it to be built was every time you find a little bit more information or the screening tool is a little bit more advanced like ours, it's reducing the risk significantly to you overall as an investor and a landlord to understand more about the tenant, the situation, and there's more questions answered on your end. So the comfort level and that gut feeling of can you rent to a tenant is essentially answered in the data that's provided in that that screening tool. So totally agree with what you're saying in terms of a professional landlord. That's why we built that system in place. Like, you know, we talk to landlords every single day, multiple times a day to get the feedback to build that tool to essentially have that information available for them to to screen their tenants and ourselves included. Right. We use the tool as well. Yeah. So you guys are kind of one-stop shop on the management side. It's like tenant placement, tenant screening, 
property management, all that kind of stuff. What about uh, yeah. like, do you got a paralegal that you work with? So if there's ever collection or eviction issues, you have somebody that you're. We've actually got a paralegal on staff. Um, awesome. So that was one of the key things that we did at the Smart. start. Um, and again, kind of to paint the positive versus the negative. Yes, we have her on staff if the proverbial, you know, shit hits the fan. Um, but we also have her on staff to build bulletproof lease appendices. Um, so one thing for all the Ontario landlords out there is, yes, you have to use the Ontario standard lease, but you can add appendices, you can add an addendum with as many clauses as you want, as long as they are legal and enforceable. And that's the big asterisk. So yeah. again, to your point, TK, you know, professional landlords know what is enforceable at the LTB. What are things that they can actually put in the lease? The the landlords that don't educate themselves are ones who will throw you know additional deposits in there or pet clauses that are actually unenforceable. And if you end up at the LTB and you have a bad lease appendix, that adjudicator is going to look at you as you know a slumlord or as someone that's mm -hmm. trying to pull a fast one on people. Um, so you want to make sure that you've got that bulletproof lease appendix crafted by a paralegal. Um, so right away we've built a paralegal service into our offering. Um, and we also partner with outside paralegals because we know, you know, one person is not enough to deal with everyone's paralegal issues. Um, so we work with a number of partners across the province and soon to be across the country uh, that yes. can help out in any case. But really for us, you know, part of what we offer is, is our network. So when a landlord comes to us for posting a property or education or leasing or property management, you know, if they have anything in terms of a need outside of our core base, we've networked with the entire industry to make sure that we can pass them off to a partner that we trust and that they can trust. So really, like you said, it's a one-stop shop. And even if we don't provide the service, we will find someone that does um, and make sure that our landlords are supported in, in their, their journey and that they're making money because when they make money, we'll make money and everyone will win. So I don't want to be too much of a plug today because I want to make sure that we're talking about a lot of different things and we'll we'll talk a lot yeah. about your guys' stuff, right? So it's no, no issues there. What are the what yeah. are those like what are the big issues that people are coming to you with today? Like landlords who already own a property, they're just like, yep. guys, help me. This is what I'm dealing with. What are you what are you doing? So we can probably talk about first and foremost, I think, affordability standards and what is the norm. So we you know, again, I don't want to plug this, but essentially we do have a rent report that we released for 2022. Um, the biggest thing for us when we built that and started um, putting that together month over month was just showing that the original affordability standards from a landlord and they're looking at tenants if they're doing their own screening was usually a three to one scale, right? Of like income to uh, rent amount. And right now, you know, what we're looking at is in some markets, 35 plus for the most part. And in the major markets, you know, you're looking at 45 percent plus. So just a new norm in, in terms of what is affordable anymore and what that tenant looks like is a big one. Uh, that, because um, I think every, is that after tax income or um it would be yes. So, and all and it would be like the median income. So technically yeah. uh, yes, some cities are different, but in terms of like average median or sorry, median income per major city, that's essentially what you're looking at. Um and I think that's the biggest one because the what they're looking in terms of scrutiny of tenants and what you're looking for from an income standpoint, which doesn't define a quality tenant, but it is a, a portion of that um, is essentially different, you know, especially now moving into 2023 with rent going up. Uh, that's one aspect of, you know, um, an investor or landlord that they're looking at a tenant side that needs to take that into consideration when they're evaluating the criteria of a, of a quality tenant. Yeah. I actually had a note here to talk about this as I was reading your report and it's, it didn't strike me, but I, I, I mean, I, 
you don't have to be a genius to realize that people have to use more of their income to afford yep. a place right now. But the fact that it's gone from like 30 to 45%, I mean, that's a gigantic increase when it comes to, you know, one line item on your, on your monthly budget. Right. But what's even Okay. So, okay. So there's, there's that percentage, but there's also like the rents are going like crazy. Right. A and the quality of the spaces is plummeting so all simultaneously. So, so why do you like, say that? Why do you, why do you say the quality? Well, be because my daughter's trying to find a place right now. And if you could see the stuff available in a price range for young kids that have not much income, like, if you're looking at fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars a month, and you want to live anywhere near Toronto, like the stuff that you see is disgusting. If you're lucky, even to get your own place, I mean, I'm seeing two thousand bucks a month for like the one, the bedroom in a one plus den where the owner is going to sleep on the couch when you live in their bedroom. And I'm not even kidding. Like there's multiple single you, females only must apply. But if you look at Facebook marketplace right now and you look between 1500 and 2000 bucks, like go see the goddamn garbage that you have to live in right now. Yeah, yeah it's difficult. I mean, competition is only getting uh, is only increasing right as as time's going on. If you look about just rent being increased from 2021 to 2022, you know, just like straight from a, a province standpoint, Saskatchewan was up 43%, Alberta 36, Manitoba 19, Nova Scotia 13, Ontario 9, and Quebec 12 and a half. So like from a rent standpoint, yeah, the, you essentially rents going up, there there hasn't really been a change in what is the overall, you know, I would say competitions got worse. Um, and, and those markets that are traditionally less affordable, like, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, Victoria, as Hart said, Peterborough is up there, Kelowna, um, Hamilton now is getting there where, where I'm from. So, um, essentially it's, it's getting harder to find a place rents going up and yeah, the, the quality, I would, I would agree. Essentially you're in, um, you know, certain brackets when you have a certain set, uh, budget and now you're having to, um, kind of compromise right with that and, and find something that works for um, really a you know a rental situation that's probably not ideal for you as you're saying for your you know as your I think it's your daughter right yeah. so um difficult and, yeah and Daryl to your point you know about the rents going up the the reality of rent control is that prices of everything are is going up right everyone is pinching pennies we're in a recession not as many people are moving and yet demand is still incredibly high because of various factors, which we can jump into. Um, but when places become vacant, the burden of the increased prices that the landlords are paying falls on those new vacancies, right? The new people coming in are going to bear that burden. So even when we look at, you know, a 9% annual increase for Ontario, if you distill that down to newly vacant units, that number would be astronomically higher because you know yeah. all everyone who stayed, we could only increase the rent by two and a half percent. So those new vacancies are bearing the brunt of that, and a lot of these investors that we talked about beforehand, who are building or renovating units, are putting them at the top end of the threshold. No one's really thinking, I'm going to build a half decent, you know, eighteen hundred dollar a month two bedroom. They're thinking, let me pump everything into that unit so that it only attracts the best of the best. And it's going to be absolutely stellar quartz countertops, marble floors, whatever it ends up being. And no one is really catering to the middle of the market where there's so much mm. demand. And so when 
you know, agents get involved and in, in push bidding wars for places like your daughter is looking for, that really creates the system where the middle, you know, the middle housing inventory that we do have in a city like Toronto is being escalated even more than that 9% and even more than whatever the number is for new vacant units. Um, so it's making it incredibly difficult. And I mean, we won't even get into affordable housing, but that segment of the market that that your daughter is probably looking in is the most acutely problematic um, in a city like Toronto. It's endangered. Yeah. It's I, was, I was in an eightplex yesterday in uh, the annex and um, this guy's, I don't know, he's a portfolio. He's, he's selling a few different buildings. So I've looked at a couple of them now and you can tell he did all his renovations in the eighties. And hasn't touched anything since, right? A lot of, like, a lot of pink and green. A lot of pink and green. Just all the, you know, the type of cabinets and everything. You can just tell like when it was all done, right? And um Shag you know, carpets so back in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shag was in the 70s, so. Can you imagine moving into a place with somebody else's shag carpet? Like what the hell could be <laughs> in there? Yeah. But but there's definitely there's definitely properties out there. But yeah, I mean, once they change hands, the landlord, you're absolutely right. The landlord says, How do I increase? Oh. The income on this property and i'm going yeah. to renovate so that someone's going to pay them more and the quartz yeah. counters and the vinyl plank floors and the the, the new yeah. paint and all that kind of stuff will get you more money we'll get you more yeah. rent i just Listen. had a guy one of our friends of the show um art i'll shout out art he posted this publicly on facebook but he just refinanced one of his buildings you know that i don't know what he paid for it but you know it's a multiplex you know maybe 20 plus units out in new brunswick and stuff like that and he put all the money in and he netted a nice big chunk of change afterwards, got the CMHC uh, MLI select uh, financing afterwards, 95% loan to value, 4% interest, 45 year amortization, you wow. know? So like he's doing it right. Like the professional investors are out there and they're, you yeah. know, doing things properly. And that's what you do is you go in there and you take over these buildings that were undermanaged and, and you make a ton of money. And I, I so those, those units are in danger. They're, they're just going to be continuously replaced as time goes on and buildings change hands. Well, so, yeah. I mean, and imagine I the... a family looking for a two-bedroom. Like, how much is a two-bedroom right now in a decent area that is actually, like, livable? It, it varies quite a bit. And and I think... Thunder Bay? The, well, in, even in Th Thunder Bay's rents are quite high, actually. Yeah. It's pretty insane. It's a great market to, uh, to invest in as an investor because property values are still quite low for the amounts of rent. You know, you can get a two-bedroom up in the range of... 15, 1600 in Thunder Bay. Um, whereas if you look at, you know, Sudbury as an example, that's down around the, uh, you know, 13, 1400 range, although Sudbury's <laughs> exploding in its own regard. Um, but when you mentioned, you know, how does a family afford something? What we're seeing a lot of these days is you know, non-traditional families coming together, which makes landlords incredibly uncomfortable, which makes insurance companies incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but that's the reality of the rental market. You know, new immigrant families coming in, it's not the platonic family of two parents and two kids. It's two parents and two kids and an aunt and a grandmother and maybe a friend who's helping out pay the rent because that's the only way that they can afford it. And you know, two or three people living in a bedroom is not abnormal. And that can be the case, whether you look at dilapidated housing in downtown Toronto, or you look at beautifully renovated new places in a city like Guelph. Um, because when a family moves to that city, they decide they want to live there. You know, they, they want quality housing too. Um, and they're going to make the family unit whatever it needs to be in order to afford that rent. Um, so that's one of the major changing dynamics that we're trying to educate landlords about is, you know, allowing multifamily or, or 
dynamic family units into the home and also accounting for higher insurance rates. You know, that insurance company, if they look at more than three or four unrelated people in the home, they're going to tack on a, a big sizable amount to that annual payment um, because they perceive it as a higher risk uh, investment for them. So it's just Why? changing dynamics that- Why is that? Uh, I mean, insurance companies are- archaic glaciers that move <laughs> with the speed of of snails and um ultimately they see a family unit as the lower lowest risk tenant profile you know they look at students regardless of whether or not you're a phd student on a full ride from university or a first year frat boy as the exact same they say students are dangerous students will damage properties wow. students won't pay rent um whereas our experiences they're probably yeah. right yeah. They may be, yeah, but yeah. we would argue that. But there's probably the right evidence students, along yeah. the last few decades yeah. that show they've paid out more on student housing than they have on single family, right? So for sure, yeah. yeah. But there, there are those trends of you know cities with student housing run by slumlords charging out the ear and and yeah. you know angry parents not paying that rent because they're guarantors on it when there hasn't been proper plumbing in the house. <laughs> um, what we see a lot more of these days is quality student housing popping up in centers where there's still a lack of supply. Um, cities like, you know, Guelph, Peterborough, Guelph, crazy. even in Toronto. Yeah, Guelph we, we crazy, just rented. Right? They, they've just basically <laughs> like, everybody who applied to the University of Guelph got in and they yeah. were like, we don't know where they're all going to live while they're out here because no one's really from Guelph who goes to Guelph and uh, yeah. they'll just figure that out on their own. And there's like, I see pictures online of lineups at houses for people just to go and look at a property. Like they're all waiting yeah, we... outside in the cold just to show the one <laughs> the one unit. We did a leasing job and it was a great investor who took a single family home, small little bungalow, turned it into a three bedroom upstairs, two bedroom downstairs, top market rents. It was just over a thousand dollars per room with each of those five bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And we had you know, 200, 250 messages for the place. We filled it quite easily with top quality students who are in you know third and fourth year supported by parents who are guarantors. But we heard really sad stories of, you know, this is University of Guelph students being driven to school by their parents every day from Collingwood because their parents could not find them a home. And those parents were Holy coming shit. to all of the showings. Yeah, that's not a commute. That's a commute you're willing to pay an extra two, three, four hundred dollars a month to get your mm -hmm. kid housing. And, and that's further inflating the student rental market in Guelph, which then pushes more investors there, um, which may be good in the long run, but, you know... It's a long story about Guelph. The, the bylaws are um, quite uh, quite strict and council isn't really approving a lot of uh, multifamily housing in the city. Um, but there are those select markets where it's becoming incredibly difficult just to live. Um, and there are kids in motels. There are kids in hotels. There are kids being you know driven to school over two hours each way. Um, and something needs to change fundamentally in order to provide housing. We That's had that insane. at the University of Toronto Scarborough campus. So there's just a time where the campus grew and then there wasn't enough housing. So they were just doing single family and turning them into rooming houses, which are not legal in Scarborough. And so there was people who are living in like, you know, less favorable conditions. And obviously it's not safe. And a lot of them were international students and things like that. So it became a newsworthy 
uh, uh, story. It, it was bad. We recognized right. that opportunity years ago, and we we yeah. bought the corner of Kingston Road and Military Trail right down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, giant piece of land right near the university where there's literally no student housing there at all. Like buying any house, even anywhere around there would probably be a really good idea, especially now with the new regulations, like legally having a triplex, right? Mm -hmm. Great area. But okay, so rent prices have gone crazy, okay? Like crazy. We hear some people in the state saying, in the USA, saying that rents are starting to, to come down right now. We have like crazy extreme perma bears here in Canada saying... Rents are coming down here, but I don't see any evidence of that. What do you guys see in the next six months? And then let's say the next 24 months with regards to rents and the direction that they go in. So we took a look uh, just to answer that exact question, because we had the same thought, you know, when uh, our business in terms of looking at the leasing for landlords, you know, we saw definitely stagnation of rent in Q4 of last year. And basically, the first month of January was somewhat slow. I mean, that can be attributed to people not wanting to move in the holiday season, cold months, things like that. Um, so what we did was we tried to do some predictive rent for the next um, year, at least and break it down by quarter. So we looked at the past five years of increase in rent. And then some projections that we had essentially Q1 probably stagnate across the way. Um, no real significant changes. Some markets obviously will. Uh, Q2, you know, single digit, about two and a half. And then Q3, upwards of 4%. That's just a generalization right across the, the market. And then Q4, we do predict it's going to go down slightly, you know, half a percent, 1% in rent. But nothing that you're seeing, as I said, the, the numbers earlier and year over year increases, you know, you're looking at double digits before right for year over year so for sure it's calmed down a little bit i think there has to be a tipping point of the rent really having at least some sort of stagnation and understanding in terms of you know what is actual market rent versus those insane increases that we saw in 2021 and and 2022 so you're not going to see the big returns that you've seen in prior years especially during covid time so um I think that understanding as an investor to say, okay, you know, if I look at what was rent last year and a very slight increase for this year, and I'm doing my budget or my finance overall, um, I can essentially determine hopefully that, uh, you know, either it's going to cash flow or not cash flow. And, you know, I have some predictability across the board, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not going to increase as in previous years. But, but do you still see it? It's still going up. Like I, yeah. I don't oh, see, yeah. yeah. Like what, what factor would push rentals down? Like price when have rents ever gone down? Well, like well, how is it happening in the like States? I mean, they must have a ton yeah. of inventory, right? That's well, the only yeah. thing that would bring it down. But I mean, we're never going to see that here, are we? Yeah. From us, like days on market are still 12 to 15 days on market. So competition's oh, still really high, crazy. right? I mean, you're, and that's even probably on the high end for a lot of markets. So for sure, rent's going to go up overall in terms of the States. I think probably a sweeping generalization about market going down in right. certain yeah, markets sure. just because yeah. like, you know, non-major city, right? They have so many little pockets that- Idaho's going to... down, yeah. 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 <laughs> really? Where is Idaho? Anyways? What's Idaho? Yeah. It's it's near Thunder Bay, I think. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure. What is near Thunder Bay? There's Where's Thunder Bay? Mich- yeah. Michigan. 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 Yeah, I heard of that place. <laughs> Close to Minnesota. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so I think the in terms of rent, for sure, it's going to go up. It's not going to go 
up nearly as what we've seen in terms of you hear you know, that, what, D. We, Trent? You hear that, D. Trent? They're not going down. <laughs> They're not going down. Rents are never even, going even, down. It can't go down. Even five-year outlook, I mean, unless there's some, Hart was like as Hart was alluding to, unless there's some significant change at a municipality level or provincially, there's really not going to be, you know, a drastic decrease in, in rent overall, right? Demand's going to still come in. Immigration's going up. There's going to be, you know, more competition as the months go by and years go by. Um, it's kind of an interesting situation to look at from an investor standpoint obviously you know hard on renters but you know that that's the reality right now that we're dealing with and, and that's part right. of the um uh what do they call that the uh the support of the of the rent of the real estate market right is that once prices get to a certain point the metrics are just going to be so good for investors that they're going to want to start buying again Right, real investors who who have the capital and have the experience. Yeah, with cash. The last couple of years, that changed. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, like Sudbury, you know, you weren't even getting cash flow in, in most of these deals that I'm looking at. So that'll yeah. all start to go back in. Where I've I've been getting a couple of ten plus caps uh, brought to my attention and, and different things like that. Really small markets, but you know, oh. they're they're out there. Um, but you know, I'm looking at all these different things that are happening, and I'm like, look, like eventually. Like somebody, we got all these new bylaw or these new um, options for multiplexes and stuff in Toronto and everything else. But eventually, like investors are just going to look at this and say, like, this is a no-brainer. I'm going to be able to get cash flow. I can get this finance six, seven percent interest. I don't care. This these numbers make sense. And I think that's the support. Immigration is a big part of that. All these other, you know, housing shortages, delays, uh, red tape on on construction and permits and all that. These are all the factors that'll that'll sort of keep the housing market in in check because eventually it'll make sense to um, have rental properties again, which it hasn't yeah. in the last couple of years at all. I don't know, like it, it hasn't and made a lot of sense to buy rentals and probably more than ever transacted in that time period. Yeah, yeah. right, which and is crazy. I think <laughs> The the overgeneralization of you know rents going up is often where landlords and investors make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And TK, to your point, you know the the investor who can look at singular markets and find opportunities there, they're the ones that are going to be winning. Um, and there was your question, you know how how are rents going to go down? I think nothing will bring rents down across Ontario as a whole, but rents may come down in specific markets with specific. Yeah. factors you know, that are coming Bancroft. into play. Like, yeah. And right now we're seeing Midland as a specific area and like generally like tiny, like Wasega beach and that, that peninsula down um, rents are coming down because Airbnb legislation has changed and now there's anti Airbnb legislation in place. And so the market similar to Toronto, early COVID, the flooded market has with, gotten flooded uh, long -term with rentals, yeah. long-term rentals and they're yeah beautiful fully furnished yeah. long-term rentals with hot tubs and saunas but the actual population that rents there can't afford any of that and so that middle market that we were talking about beforehand completely disappears and you have garbage housing and then top tier housing that no one can actually afford because these investors were grossing airbnb incomes not long-term rental incomes. does that does that factor into the average rents the airbnb income so un unfortunately, when we look at CMHC data, it's completely skewed. CMHC only surveys you know, purpose-built housing of four units or more. Why we created our rent report was because our small landlord audience in these tier two markets didn't have data that actually made sense to them. Um, so Airbnb data doesn't factor into things from a short-term rental perspective. But once those Airbnbs get dumped on the long-term market, then we can start to see the effect of them because our data is pulled from 
um, a general marketplace approach. So we look at Facebook marketplace, Kijiji rentals.ca, our own marketplace, and we aggregate that data. We don't just look at, you know, StatsCan and, and CMHC surveys. Yeah. That's top notch. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. And so that's where th this type of data is really interesting because as an investor, as we hone it, <laughs> it's going to become more and more refined so that you can find those little pockets, you know, the, the Hanovers, the, you know, out Sudbury, outside of, uh, you know, Kingston, little, little tiny markets where there may be opportunity yeah. and you can jump into them and we'll actually have reliable data from those markets. Yeah. The there's American with... companies that have owned that data, right. That I'm sure you guys are aware of. And that yeah. is frustrating when you want to look at, uh, markets and you're like, you got all this great data on these American cities. And then you look for nothing in Ontario here. and it's nothing. Yeah. And why we Zillow chose... owns everything pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And why we chose the, um, median number across the board was we were worried about the smaller, let's call it like tier two, tier three, smaller communities where essentially rental, there's not a lot of rental data available. And when you use average, essentially you, exactly how hard said, you have that really nice unit that's going to skew that rental data immediately for someone who's an investor to say, you know, oh, actually I can get this rent and it's averaging that within this particular market. But for us, we knew that wasn't a true representation of what is that smaller market to look at. And for us, it's more of a, the actualization of, of what's going for rent in that market. So uh, when we chose to do that and working with our partner, Door Insight, that was essentially where we we landed. And I mean, you know, biasly, being biased, we feel like we, you know, our report is better for that that reason. It's not necessarily taking our own data and making those assumptions. It's, um, you know, a number of sources as well as, you know, we we have that um, that eye on the the full market versus just, you know, our site. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but this is the best Canadian real estate podcast that airs every week, Sundays at 4 p.m. Just so you, so you guys know, okay, that there's- Was that just Sundays at 4 p.m.? Yeah, Sundays, Sundays at 4 p.m. Yeah. And Sundays the best, all in the same sentence. Yeah, there's nothing There's nothing better. All right, let's 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 go back to you guys again, right? So I, I, hold, hold on. Well, I just want to ask one more thing before we sure. get back to these guys. Um, Purpose-built rental. Do you see- any incentives out there or do you hear of anything coming down the pipe that may take a little bit of pressure off this market by allow like developers would build it if it made financial sense right so 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 do have you guys heard anything or do you see anything like just as a reference back in 2015 16 like we had a ton of purpose built rental in the development pipeline and what happened is like in 2017, 2018, they all switched back to condos because it just didn't make any sense to build the purpose-built rentals. And so we didn't get very much inventory on the market other than, you know, the traditional way in, in, in Canada now to sprinkle it through multiple buildings and multiple owners, right? Through condos. But do you see or hear anything coming down the pipe that may um, incentivize people to build and i'm not talking three fucking units in a house in port perry like these big 400 500 unit buildings that we see splattered all over brampton and bathurst and steels and like these like is that ever going to happen again i would say there isn't anything that is in the current decade, going to fundamentally shift developers towards that style of purpose-built housing. Um, you know, build more homes faster, 
as you described it, is going to be a tiny little drop in the ocean in comparison to what we need. Um, and there's a lot of NIMBY attitude out there. You know, there we've seen um, legislation being passed that allowed for higher developments in cities like Guelph and Cambridge and Kitchener-Waterloo, you know, allowing more than nine floors. Um, but then when a proposal gets to council, the entire community comes up in mm -hmm. arms because they don't want it in their community. <laughs> sure. um, and so fundamentally, we we all need to hold hands and agree that outside of Toronto, and, and we primarily look at these tier two markets, there is a massive, massive shortage in housing that will not be solved with the little ones and twos, right? The little you know, small multifamily isn't going to fundamentally change the game. Yes, it'll increase density a little bit. It'll make our cities a little bit better. It'll relieve a tiny, tiny bit of pressure. Um, there are some developments that are starting from some big corporations um, on the outskirts of the GTA that lead us to believe that it should be in the pipeline, um, not just for the massive corporations that can just throw money at the problem and, and you know, they're in it for the 40 to 60 year investment timeframe. Um, so hopefully some of that comes down the pipe, but, you know, we've seen four or 500 unit buildings starting to go up in Vaughan and uh, up in Kleinberg and things like that. So that, that hopefully gives a glimmer, but we're still probably 10 years out from anything substantial happening on that front. Can you imagine living in a purpose-built rental like high rise building in Kleinberg. It's happening. It's happening everywhere. I mean, it's crazy. Even if you look older at the, people, the right? top like, of the TTC, right? You know, yeah, there's, older there's people. Tons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The yeah. Vaughn ones. Yeah. Yeah. The Vaughn ones that are going up. And, you know, yeah. there's uh, there's some big buildings that are being built by big players. Um, and they're starting to become purpose built and not just, you know, condo owners who I are. I think it's going to switch the mall owners, there's like all these condo yeah. applications that are going to shift back into purpose built rentals. Yeah, but it's this much. A couple of years. It's this yeah, much out of the whole thing. It's like, how right? Yeah. It's the same. But pattern. when when a player like, you know, Smart Centers, for instance, or Rio can jumps into the game and, and starts building, right. that hopefully will start that trigger. You know, it, it alludes to the signs that there is money in this. And then the players with, you know, some of the smaller REITs can start to jump in and, and build, but it's uh, it's an expensive game and the government does not make it easy right now. No. And it's like, if you've ever done a performa to build a new building, like you, it's, it's much easier to just buy something built and cheaper. Like you can buy a, 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 a built unit, like a door that's ready to rock and roll for sometimes even like way under replacement cost, like way yep. under, right? Yep. Like yep. there's a reason why condos have to sell for one point something million, right? And so it's hard to buy a door for the average of, I don't even know what the fucking average is anymore. Is it 300 bucks, thousand a door? Is it 250? It I guess it depends where, but like yep. you're, you're not buying it for 1.4 a door, right? So like- No. And we see a lot of these really quality investors buying- you know, mid-sized multifamily in Mississauga, for instance, and building beautiful units. You know, tenant moves out, they got the unit. It's now beautiful. Rents have been raised by $1,000 a month, wow. but that's not adding the doors that we need to solve the problem. No, it's just, yeah, it's refurbishing an old door. That's uh, yeah. not I, helpful. I always say to people with uh, the garden suites, I'm like, where, like in Toronto, obviously, where can you buy a condo? So you already own the land, you're already paying property taxes. You're now going to be building a unit that you're getting two grand a month, whatever it is in your backyard. That's going to cost you 400K to build roughly. Where can you buy a condo for $400,000 in Toronto? And then you got maintenance fees, property taxes, and everything else. 
This is just exactly. in a land you're already using. So I, I'm trying to sell that on people. No what the hell are you doing? You're no going to move into yet. your own backyard? <laughs> yeah. Like what? How is that? I sold comparison? myself on the idea, but everybody <laughs> else is going. Like, uh, I mean, somebody's I'm going to want to live back but... there, Daryl. It's the problem is, is it costs three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars, and it's in your backyard. So what are you going to do? You're going to move into your own backyard and rent out the house? Is that what you're saying? That's an option. Holy! You can also rent out the backyard, right? Rent out the suite in the backyard. I know. Can two you brand, imagine? Brand so, new, two stories. Yeah, you're having a barbecue bed, with the family. Bath. Some guy Quartz walks through the barbecue. Can I use the barbecue now? I got people coming. Yeah, over. you got your own barbecue. I built Holy you a deck. Shit. It's three feet oh, yeah. by six feet. Yeah, it's right there. It's two feet away from my barbecue and my party. Oh, what the a backyards nightmare. are big enough to have these things. What right? a nightmare. All right. So I'm a I'm a landlord. <laughs> I'm hiring you guys. I just bought the property. Walk me through what it is you're gonna do for me. And it's in yeah. um Barry. Perfect. So the first thing that we're going to do is bring our bring in our Barry leasing specialist. We've got people placed throughout the region. That leasing specialist is going to walk through the property with you, even before you close, if you want, so that we can really speed up the leasing process. Um, walk through the property, give you a rent assessment so that you know exactly what the market is demanding for your place. We're going to sit down and design a tenant profile. So who's likely to be attracted to that property? Who do you want in that unit if you're self-managing? or if we're managing who do we collectively want in that unit. Um, and then we're gonna take photos, take videos, pull all the promotional items for that place, throw a lawn sign on and start to market the property. We market the property, like we said, across multiple listings and we're designing our marketing plans based on that tenant profile that we've developed together. So we're not saying, you know, no smokers, no pets, you know, only families. We're gonna actually write that ad and design that advertising to bring in the tenant profile that we would want to attract together. Once we do all that marketing and advertising, we pre-screen everyone who sends a message through. So we're going to get, you know, 300, is it still available messages? We're going to blast out all of that pre-screening to those people, call it down to probably the top 10 or 20. Our leasing specialist is going to do all of the showings. They're going to be there for every single showing so that we can really see the whites of people's eyes. We can see how they look, how they smell, whether they offer to take off their shoes when they come in unprompted. Do they treat the property with respect from moment one? You know, do they park on the driveway and block another tenant in or park on the road and be uh, you know respectful? Yeah. Um, once we do all of those showings and gather all the qualitative data, we move on to the quantitative. So we pull our own credit checks. We pull our own background checks, full RCMP background checks. We do ID verification with face matching technology. So we make sure there's no fake IDs and we can do that income and expense verification. Um, yeah, some, some fancy, pretty creepy right? stuff. I mean, these guys have this thing. It's like a click of a button, but it sounds totally. fancy to me and Daryl. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's where as a tech company, we're constantly innovating. So you know, yeah. in six months, we'll have another tool to further make things less risky. Uh, we call past landlords, um, you know, ask them a certain subset of questions to make sure they actually are the landlord and not cousin Jimmy. Um, we're going to call employers, verify employment information, verify that income through that open bank check. And then we're going to put forward recommendations to you. We're not just going to say, hey, here's the one tenant that's best suited for your place. We're going to show you what we've done, show you all the people that came through, give you the top two or three recommendations. You give us a thumbs up or thumbs down, a la, you know, Gladiator being the Caesar. And uh, and once you give us that thumbs up, we bring in our paralegal. We build the lease and the lease appendix that's proprietary for your unit. And then we introduce everyone. We send off the lease via DocuSign so no one has to print anything or meet in person to sign like the old school way. 
we make sure that those rent deposits are sent through by e-transfer directly from the tenant to the landlord. And we're going to make sure tenant's insurance is in place because that should always be mandatory on your standard lease and any kind of other things that we need, you know, guarantor forms, snow and lawn maintenance contracts, because you need a snow and lawn maintenance contract if your tenant's going to do that snow and lawn. Um, and we're going to hand that over to the landlord to then go forward and, and uh, manage that tenant from there. We can also do the move-in inspection and key handoff if a landlord wants. And then for those landlords that want the above and beyond, um, we can do the full service property management. Um, but primarily, you know, most people these days, because they are watching their dollars, they're looking for that leasing service um, and they want to self-manage so that they're not losing that, you know, typically five to 10% of monthly rent that a property manager would charge you. And, and going back to that education side that we talked about at the start, really that first meeting is really an education session, right? We work with a lot of first-time landlords that either are brought to us from a partner or, you know, from situations like this, where they're introduced to us, we essentially walk them through what it means to be a first time landlord, what their responsibilities would be, you know, it's a little bit of resources and education along the way, so they can do some reading, as well as as Hart said, you know, not a lot, a lot of times, really, it's property maintenance isn't isn't thought about, you know, in terms of either a budget or a plan. And we kind of walk them through those scenarios, um, you know, at that that first meeting. So if you're taking into account in the budget or overall logistics, especially if you're call it like, um, you know, a long distance landlord, you know, I've had landlords that are in Brampton, for example, and they want to be in the Hamilton area with their property, they're not going to come down, right? If, if something happens, they need to have, uh, you know, a system set up through property maintenance or, you know, someone else to or handyman or whatever it may be to essentially help out in their property in time of need. So that first meeting is really half education, half understanding the goals. And then we we work from there as hard said with the finding the tenants. Amazing. Way Guys. more than a realtor would do just on oh, that yeah. side, like 10,000 10, <laughs> times more than anything that I would yeah. do or any other realtor would do. Um, so management then, okay, I want your management. Like I want it. I want you guys to take care. I mean, I'm, my place is in Barrie, but I live in Toronto. Yep. Who's so doing we're going to a leasing partner. So you got a, and who's the manager now up there? Yeah. So we've built essentially a no frills management approach that can be done fully remotely as long as we have that regional leasing specialist there with us. Um, so okay. the property management kind of was a, uh, a step off of the, the leasing service um, where, you know, the leasing agent will do their job. They'll place that tenant they'll conduct the move-in inspection because they're trained to do that and have the move-in documents and the key handoff. And then the management is done completely remotely by our team. So we've got rent collection in place. We've got the ability to triage out any work order that comes through from the tenant. Um, we can use our leasing specialist to do our annual inspections or biannual inspections, um, but everything is done remotely. So there's a 24-7 call center. There's messaging abilities. There's work orders sent through. Um, and how we differ is that because it is remote, we're going to charge a lot less, right? So we're not a regional player that has a full team of property managers in every single city. That's expensive. That's what costs you six to 10% of your monthly rent. Um, and they're still going to charge you for every contractor that comes through and a management fee on top of that. Um, so our fees are typically between 79 and $99 a month per unit. And we're going to handle all of that day-to-day -day communication, all of that triaging. We've got our inventory of trades and maintenance people that we're going to send out to the property. Um, we also have systems in place where we don't have to visit the property as much. You know, pin pad locks are going to be standard, an extra lock box with a key for that pin pad lock in case things go wrong. 
Um, and we're going to treat the tenants with respect as not a commodity, but as an asset um, and make sure that we place the right tenant who can help us manage that property and therefore charge you less for property management. So it's it's really like the no frills of property management um, brought on by what people are demanding these days, uh, you know, in a post COVID recession world where everyone's trying to save a couple bucks. And tech and tech friendly. Like, I mean, that that's so that but one of my questions was like how do you guys service all these markets and how do you expand and yeah. grow right and that was technology. it right there is strictly the, <laughs> yeah, the leasing partners are the only um uh, and good requirement tech. for you to be able to get to because the tech will handle everything else yeah right guys yeah. and yeah what what Daryl? there's we've gone on forever we could do this forever <laughs> we gotta we have you guys back, back. like we gotta yeah. have you back because we've been going forever i could talk to you for another year my bladder cannot so <laughs> we're gonna have to wrap this up i really appreciate your time this was amazing um yeah love uh, to have shameless, you back. Quick, shameless plug though where guys can find you we're gonna post all your details but just for the listeners but even uh, more important you we, you guys said the word cull twice in one episode not e not once, twice. This is this was the best episode of all time, TK. Call, huh? call. Who uses the word call? They did it twice. It's unbelievable. You guys are smart guys. Smart right? guys. They got bigger vocabularies <laughs> than us. Okay, so, shameless uh, where, plug, and then I got website pee. and social. What? Give it to me. Shameless plug. Go to Rent Panda on any social media platform or rentpanda.ca. All the information is there. And uh, our phone number, the direct line goes to mine or Rob's cell phone. So you, when you call, <laughs> you Careful. will speak to a real person. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to give out the phone number. You can find it on the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, our team is real. Our team, commenters, ruthless. Yeah, our team is landlords. Our landlords were investors. We understand the plight. Um, so we want to help as many people as possible and make a lot of money. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We'll Great talk to, talk to you, to you guys soon. Meet you today. Appreciate it.